you have a Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to turn it to the book of Joshua. And this morning we're, we're walking through the story. So let's just, uh, just quickly by, by way of review, let's just walk, walk with me again through the story. If you remember, we started with who? God. In the beginning, he creates the heaven and the earth. He, he sets the stage upon which he's going to write this story, the story that's going on today that you and I live in. So the next major event are two people. Their names are Adam and Eve. And they are created in, in this wonderful fellowship with God, in this perfect environment. And then comes an event that changed the world. It was called the what? The fall. The fall is next. Everything changes. Uh, man dies spiritually in his ability to connect and relate to God and to know God. And we see that sin begins to live out in the lives of their children named Cain and Abel. Over a course of nearly a thousand years, humanity continues to develop and continues to deteriorate to the point where God says, I, can't, I cannot tolerate this anymore. Man is just continually evil in his heart. It's only getting worse. And so we see that he picks a man by the name of Noah, preserves this man's life, and through the great flood, destroys the rest of the earth. Well, Noah lands on that mountain and, and gets out and, and he and his family begin to grow and we see another 400 years or so go by and then God decides to build a nation and he picks a man by the name of Abraham. He says, through you I'm going to build a nation. The only problem was this man was old, his wife was old, they'd been barren all their lives and couldn't have children. At age 100, they had a baby named Isaac. To the maidservant, he had a child named who? Ishmael. Isaac would go on to be the, the, the Jewish race, and Ishmael would represent the Arab race. Isaac had a, two sons, and their names were Jacob and Esau. God chose to work through the line of Jacob, even though he was the younger brother. And Jacob went on to have how many sons? Twelve. We looked, and, and the one that which most is written about is a son by the name of Joseph. It was through Joseph that God preserved the family, and they came to Egypt where they were enslaved, we see, for another 400 years. And then God raised up one of their own people, a man by the name of Moses. Moses led the people out. Last week we saw that he led them to, uh, to Mount Sinai. And there God made this covenant with them. Casey shared with us that for 40 years they wandered because of their unbelief. And at that point, God raises up a man who had been a part of Moses' life for many, many years. And his name is Joshua. So here we are this morning. God is writing this redemptive story through the pages of the Old Testament and through history. And so this morning, we're going to look at this man named Joshua. Actually, his name is Hosea. I don't know if you knew that. You'll probably find out new things, a lot of things I didn't know as I'm going through this. His name is Hosea. 
and he's of the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, we, it looks like he probably was a, Moses knew him from the time he was a young boy, and so they're together. The first time he, we really see him, though, is in Exodus chapter 17. They've crossed the Red Sea. The Amalekites come out to try and defeat them, and Israel counterattacks and has a, a routing victory. And, and who's leading that? Hosea, Joshua. And so he becomes the right-hand man to Moses. We see that when Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, it was Joshua that was partway up the mountain with him. Joshua was not a part of the golden calf and all that went on down there. He was up on the mountain with Moses at that time. We see that he was the one that accompanied Moses to the tent of the meeting whenever he went. We see Joshua as one of the spies that went in to scout out the promised land. And he was one of two that came back and said, we can do it. With the help of God, we can do it. Interesting, when he came back, his name was changed. Hosea means saves. Joshua means God saves. Think about that. His name was changed from saves to God saves. Moses was a great spiritual leader. Joshua was a great military leader. And he was just what the people needed to move in and take the land. And so here we see, we look at the story of Joshua. Moses is gone. They stand at the banks of the Jordan, right where they were when they said no 40 years ago. And here is the promise that God gave. Here's the main text this morning. We'll be looking at several, but this is the main one. Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 3 to 9. You can follow along in your Bible or up on the wall. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, from the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. And no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous and be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. So Moses instructs the people to get ready. And uh, they respond to him. It says, they answered Joshua, whatever you've commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. So while they're getting ready, preparing to go across the Jordan, they send two spies out. And, and they go to this place called Jericho, the first place they were going to uh, <coughs> conquer. You know, you've heard this little phrase about the walls of Jericho. 
Let me just paint this picture in your mind of what, what they were looking at in this city. I want you to imagine uh, taking a bulldozer and, and here's the picture. You're, you're looking at these walls and pretend that you're looking on this way at the walls of Jericho. There, there's an embankment that goes up of dirt several feet. Then there's a, a retaining wall that's about 15 to 20 feet high. Probably around 15 feet high. So imagine this, a retaining wall and on top of that wall is a six-foot-thick wall that's somewhere between 20 to 25 feet tall. So we're now talking way beyond the ceiling of this room. We're talking a four-story building. That's how far that wall was, but that wasn't it. Then right in back of that, there's more dirt that is pushed up and goes up higher. And on, on top of that, we see that there is a another wall, another 40 feet tall. And so the illusion, when you looked at it, it was really two walls, but you could see one, you know, one hit right at the base of the second one. And so when you looked at this wall, it was like looking at a 10-story building. That's what those walls, all the way around the city, so thick that there were actually houses even built into them. And so it was impossible and yet, this was going to be their first task. And so the spies went out. You know the story of Rahab, a woman there that feared God and said, you know what? I think God's going to destroy us. I'm going I'm to be uh, on, this, on these two guys' side. And so when they came and said, have you seen the spies? She hid them in their house and protected them. And afterwards, she said, look, guys, I just saved your life. I'm going to ask you that when, when you come and destroy and, and overtake us, and I know you're going to. She had the faith. She said, would you please preserve my life and my family's life? And the spies agreed to do that. By the way, very important little incident in the story, because salvation is not just for the Jews. So there's a, there's a reason for this story. There's a reason for everything in the story. But we see here that Rahab, when they came through, they were saved and preserved and, and became part of the Jewish people. So here we have these spies coming back and they're now ready to cross and so they, they're at the Jordan River and this had to be so encouraging because the same thing that happened with Moses at the Red Sea happened at the Jordan River and the waters parted and the people walked across on dry land. It was an encouragement to their hearts. So what we have is, in this story today, we have these battles. And we have, I'd like you to think of it in terms of three major sections. Jericho, then five kings that come together, and then the third section is 14 kings. So think of these battles. There were other battles in between here, but, but these are the main sections. Jericho, five kings, 14 kings. And so we see Jericho is the first one. Most of us have probably heard the story of Jericho. It's not a military tactic that's used very often. Okay? <laughs> Go out and, and march around the city and uh, march around there and then do that once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, go around seven times, and then I want everybody to shout. That, that's not a common military tactic. 
But there's a lot of un uncommon stuff that goes on here. And so that's what they did. They walked around, and on the seventh day, they did it seven times, and the people yelled, and these, just imagine, these, these massive, unpenetrable walls fell to the ground. And Israel came in and destroyed the city, and the first battle was won miraculously. Well, then we have a couple of interruptions. A couple of interruptions. And remember, there's, both of these teach some really important lessons. The first one was the Battle of Ai. I don't know how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of men. There were 600,000 men, so you can imagine that probably the army was at least a quarter of a million of Israel. Well, they said we'll need about two to 3,000 men to defeat Ai. There's hardly any people there. And so they went out, and, and to the horror of the people, Israel's army was routed by, by the people of Ai, and 36 men were killed, and they ended up fleeing back, and, and the people of Israel, as you can imagine, they're like, they're like petrified. They're going, God isn't with us. We're going to be destroyed here. We can't even defeat this small uh, city of Ai. And so we see that in chapter 7, Joshua was praying. Joshua said, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and other people of the country will hear about this. They will surround us. They will wipe out our name from the earth. And what then will you do for your own great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. That's what he said. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. Very, very important lesson. They have violated my covenant, which I command them to keep. You've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. So this is really a powerful lesson. And they went and they found the man who'd done it and they took him out and they stoned him and his family and his children and all of his livestock. It's a very, very powerful lesson upon the impact of even one man on the corporate life of God's people. It's really a very sobering lesson. This man's sin caused 36 men to lose their lives. So God's favor returns at this point. Then there's another little lesson, and that was by a group of people called the Gibeonites. Five kings were gathering to fight, and the Gibeonites said, you know what, I think we're going to lose. I think we should try and get on Israel's side. So they deceived the people of Israel. They got these old wineskins that looked like they'd been around forever, and old dry, moldy bread, and they put it, and, and they came to Israel pretending like they'd been traveling for ever and that they were a country that was a long ways away when in reality they were almost right next door and Israel looked at it and they said wow these guys have come from a long way off they're, they're very positive towards God and they're very humble before us and I don't think there'd be anything wrong with us doing a treaty with these guys and so that's what they did interesting chapter 9 
we see that in verses 14 and 15, it says, Then the men of Israel sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. They just looked at it with their own eyes and thought, hmm, this looks like it makes sense. But they did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. They then found out that these neighbors were right next door and they realized that they had compromised some of the blessing, some of the property that God had intended to be for them. They had compromised it to a foreign nation. Another lesson that we can learn. Well, the second major fight then is with these five kings. And when, when these kings heard that Gibeon was now with Israel, they said, we got to come together and take these guys on before they destroy us. And so they got together and they, they went. And it's interesting now, notice, there's no, there's no marching around the city anymore. You know, it would have been easy for Israel to say, okay, now we know how it's done. We just go to the cities and we march around and on the seventh day we shout, the walls come down, we go in. That only happened once. That was only the strategy God used once. Just because God used a strategy that worked last week doesn't mean it's going to be the same strategy this week. And so they, they followed God's leading here and in this case they surprised the armies and listened to the things that happened. After an all-night march from Gilgal... By the way, Gilgal was where the people camped across the river. And so just to get this picture, you know, all the kids and families, they had this camp set up. And then they would go out on these campaigns and they would go back to Gilgal and they would go out and fight and go back because they needed a place that was home. And so Gilgal is this place of rest, the place of rest for the people. It says, they went out from Gilgal and took them by surprise. And notice what happened. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. And Israel pursued them all along the road up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. And as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On that day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ejelon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. So we have confusion, we have hailstones coming down, and we have the sun stopping. This is an amazing, amazing story of what God did for his people. So Israel then conquers another of other smaller cities, and then word spreads, and now in the northern kingdoms, there are 14 kings that come together. And these 14 kings say, we, we got to join up. We, they may be, a lot of those nations didn't, didn't even get along, but they said, we got to come together here. And so we see that they did. And in chapter 11, it says, They came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. We're assuming in the millions now. We're assuming millions of soldiers. 
And so we have this uh, picture. Have you seen, uh, you know, some of those scenes from the Lord of the Rings where there's just uh, people as far as you can see? That's kind of the picture of, of what it was like. It says, all these kings joined joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. And notice what it says. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. Because by this time tomorrow, 24 hours, by this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them over to Israel slain. 24 hours, they will all be slain. It's amazing. And it doesn't give us a lot of detail uh, to the story, but we see here that it says in verses 18, Joshua waged war against all these kings. Uh, this is another group. <clears throat> uh, by the way, let me just back up and like I said, it doesn't give us a lot of detail here, but we see that these armies were defeated and it says there were no survivors left. None. <clears throat> no survivors. Well, then we see that they go on and they, they defeat some of the other nations there, verses 18 to 20 in chapter 11. And it says, Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time, except for the Hivites living in Gibeon. Not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites who took them all in battle. And then verse 20. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. So I have a question here before we move to application this morning. Does anyone have a problem with this? Does anyone have a problem with God destroying a nation, nation after nation after nation, men, women, and children, uh, without mercy to take the land from Israel from them to, to give it to Israel. Has, has that ever bothered you? Well, I think it's important. It has me. I mean, I've had the question. You know, this somehow doesn't seem quite fair that God would destroy all these nations and then give it to Israel because Israel was far from perfect. So let me just answer that question here because I, I think this is one of the questions that sometimes causes us to scratch our head. And the answer is basically this. It's important to understand that God was not taking the land from this group to give it to another group. That's not what's going on here. He took the land from them because they were wicked and godless and evil. Deuteronomy 9, 4 to 6. It says, After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No. It is on the account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. Israel, you're not coming in because you're better than they are. They're leaving because they are, have become so evil that I'm going to cleanse the land. You happen to get to be able to occupy it, but it's not because of your righteousness. I'm destroying them because of their evil. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of the land. But on the account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. 
to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis 15, 16. Let me just read that again and remind us. Genesis 15, verse 16. It says, In the fourth generation, he's talking now the, the fact that it's going to be four generations before Israel is going to be delivered. It says, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God says, I'm going to give these people 400 more years. I'm going to give them 400 more years, and I will not feel justified to destroy them until they have become so evil, so evil that I must do so. So you say, what does that look like? Leviticus 18, verse 21 to 25, he says, do not... Give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech. This is the God of the Amorites now, okay? He's describing the practices of the Amorites. For you must not profane the name of the Lord your God. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman, for that is detestable. Do not have sexual relationships with an animal and defy yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations. That is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations I'm going to drive out before you have become defiled. Even for the land, even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin. So these are the detestable things for which God was driving them out. And probably one of the worst was that they burned and sacrificed their own children to the gods of Molech. God has been patient for 400 years. He could have used a flood. He could have used fire and brimstone. He decided to use the nation of Israel to cleanse the land. And thus he did. So let's move to application this morning. Here's, here's the metaphor. The metaphor is this. Uh, the metaphor is that there is a promised land we were born in sin, all of us, and so we grew up with sinful patterns. And, and there are things that were part of our lives that are detestable. There are things that are part of our lives that are sinful. There are enemies that have occupied our land that God wants to cleanse. There's territory that God wants us to take back in our lives, things that we have handed over to the enemy. And so that's the metaphor here. And so... I want you to think this morning about a battle area in your life. For the next 10 minutes here, we're just gonna, I'm going to give you some things that I, I would like you to think about. Think about a battle in your life. Is, is there something the Lord might bring to your mind this morning? Something that's in your life that, that shouldn't be there. And it could be a host of things. It could be a habitual sin in your life. It could be some kind of an, an, some kind of an addictive thing. It could be alcohol. It could be gambling. It could be food. It could be sex. It could be immorality, porn, work, money. Just something in your life that shouldn't be there that keeps occupying your life. Maybe it's a broken relationship with a child, a parent, spouse, fellow believer. Maybe it's lies lies that are battling that, that should have no place in your life, but things you're believing that aren't true. 
things that are opposed to what God has said. Maybe it's anger or depression or resentment or, or continual anxiety. I don't, know, I don't know what that is, but if there's a battle in your mind, I want you to think about that this morning. I'm going to mention four things that are critical if you're going to defeat the enemy, if you're, going to de- if you're going to win those battles in your life. These are the four things from the text here that I encourage you to think more about them. I'm just going to mention them briefly. I would encourage you to go home and think about these things. Here's the first one. And we're, going to, we're going to take these out of Joshua, that first chapter. Joshua 1.5. Here's the first one. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is a promise God has given to you. So here's the first thing. You need to believe that there is no battle too strong for you to conquer. I don't care how tall the walls. I don't care if it looks like a 10-story building. I don't care if you've, you look at that and you say, there's no way I can, I can, I can, I can break through that wall. You have to believe that there's no battle too strong for you. If you don't believe you can win the battle that you just thought of, you won't win it. It starts with faith. It starts with faith. And so you've lost before you've even started if if you don't think that you can win the battle. So what are you believing about the battle? Are you believing that voice that said, it's too late for you? This will never happen. God's already given you so many chances. You've already failed so many times. I don't know what those, what those taunts of the enemy are, but you have got to believe that you can win the battle. And the reason you can win the battle is summed up in five words. I will be with you. Now that's God speaking. So, if you're facing a battle and God's with you, how can you not win that battle? I mean, you have to, this is where you have to start. Don't start with a strategy. Don't start with determination. Uh, don't start with trying again. Ask yourself, do you really believe? Do you really believe up front before you start? And the the way you will believe that is to take this truth and believe it. When God said, I will be with you all the days of your life. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will go into every battle with you. I'm asking this morning, do you believe that? That's where it has to start. You know, Israel's getting ready to battle, battle Jericho. It looks impossible, and it is. That's the point. It is on your own. You know, God... It's interesting, Joshua 5, 13. Listen to this picture here. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Then Moses fell down to the ground in reverence and asked, what message does my Lord have for his servant?" Do you know when you go into a battle, there, do you know there are two armies? There's, there's what you're doing, and then there's the army of God. There's the work of God. There's the presence of God. And so it's critical that you understand. It's critical that you understand. It doesn't matter how high 
the walls. It really doesn't matter. The issue is, is, is God with you or not? I'd like you to look at this clip. <clears throat> So when you're ready to take on that battle, you should start to feel almost a little smile on the corner of your lips going, I can win this. We can win this because God is with me. And God will win any battle that he's calling you to. The second one we see is be careful to do everything written in God's word. Joshua 1, 7 and 8. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is pretty straightforward. He says, verse 8, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. When the people were disobedient, when there's something, they were disobeying God, they lost all their power to do battle. Maybe you're being defeated in something in your life because there's some ongoing sin that you haven't dealt with in your life. You're not going to have spiritual power until you come under the submission and give that to the Lord. So once you look at the battle, you need to open up your life and say, God, is there something in my life that is displeasing you to the point where it is, it is taking away your power to work in and through my life? That's the second thing that you need to look at. You need to be careful to do it. You need to be careful to do it. Whatever it is, open your life up to the word of God and make sure you're doing everything God has revealed to you to do. That's the second thing you need to apply. Here's the third one. You need to follow God's strategy for winning the battle. Joshua 1.16 116, it says, Then he answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded, we will do. Wherever you send us, we'll go. Lord, whatever strategy you show us, that's what we'll do. Okay? So, here we see, God wants them to follow the strategy, whatever that is. And he will do things that are totally unexpected. When I was in eighth grade, what happened 3,500 years ago repeated itself. I want you to just show a little clip. It's less than two minutes. But I want, you, I want to introduce you to what happened. Six days. The same miracles that happened in the book of Joshua happened in that war. You can read about them. Uh, story after story after story. A couple of men walk up to a truck full of armed men. They didn't know what to do because they were totally outmanned. They point their guns and everybody comes out with their hands up. And as they're marching the soldiers along, the, uh, the Israeli guy asks the sergeant of the group, he said, why did you guys surrender? He said, I don't know. He said, we were all paralyzed. We couldn't even move. A group of guys are going across a desert. It's filled with landmines. And there's no way they can make it across by dusk. All of a sudden, a massive windstorm comes up, and when they're done, every mine, the sand is blown two inches off, every mine is exposed, and they walk across through, through the desert. The Israelis took off. They destroyed every aircraft of the Egyptians on the ground in the airport because the Egyptians couldn't communicate uh, for three hours that the uh, Israelis were attacking them. There were stories of massive groups of tanks that came, and 
they turned around and, and went the other way. And when they reported why, they said they saw thousands of angels with flaming swords in the mountains. You can read story after story. It sounds like something you're taking right out of the book of Joshua, 1967. You know why? Because God is faithful to the promise to his people. And God will be faithful to the promise to you. He will fight for you. You need to listen for the strategy that he's calling you to because it, one American military guy said, we do not study the six-day war or teach any of the tactics. We're looking for military strategy, not miracles. That was his comment about what happened in the six-day war. No one, secular, you go back and read the stories, everyone would tell you it was the hand of God that allowed that to happen. About 750 Israelis died and they estimate 18,000 Arabs were killed in that six-day war. You need to follow God's strategy for winning the battle. Find out what he wants you to do. It may be something that you've never thought of. Take time to wait upon him. He will show you what to do. And then finally, the last thing, Joshua 1.9. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Just do it. That's what he's saying. God's with you. Okay? God's with you. Make sure you're obedient to what you know that he's told you. Pray to him, ask him what to do, and then do it. Step out and do it. Just follow and be obedient. Don't cower over it anymore. Don't sit and feel sorry for yourself anymore. Step out and do it. And you will experience victory. And I'd like to hear within the next few weeks someone come up to me and say, could I share a victory that came in my life? Because I, I took your word there, what you shared on that Sunday in March, and God did an amazing victory in my life. I'd like, to, I'd like to have some God at works in the coming weeks along that line. I want to challenge you to take this to heart. Father, this morning, we have a lot to learn <coughs> from Israel. You've You've given it. Your, your word tells us that these things are written so that we might learn these lessons for our own battles today. And so, Lord, might you use your word today. Father, I pray for people here who, who are discouraged and who need again to be renewed with a sense of faith that your promises, that you're with them. Of course, we can't do it. Of course, it's too big. Of course, we've tried 10 times and it's failed. But you have promised that you will go with us and that if we will listen to you and respond in obedience, that you will win these battles for your glory and for your honor. And so, Lord, we, we pray to that end today. Lord, as we conclude this service now, I receive this offering and uh, we just ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen.